This interview of Wisdom from the Top was recorded in 2020. From Luminary and Built-It Productions, it's Wisdom from the Top. Stories of crisis, failure, turnaround, and triumph from some of the greatest leaders in the world. I'm Guy Raz, and on the show today, Stephen M. R. Covey, who built on the work of his father, author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. My father taught win-win or no deal. If you go for win-lose, that's in the long run not very sustainable. If I go for lose-win, where, you know, hey, I'm a martyr, everyone steps on me, you know, that's not sustainable either. That's not going to work for me. Lose-lose, everyone loses. But win-win, win-win is really the only sustainable approach. The legacy of Stephen Covey Sr. and how his son Stephen Covey Jr. continues to amplify it. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Back in the 1980s, Stephen R. Covey anticipated a new kind of leadership. Not the table-pounding, charismatic leadership of Jack Welch, but an empathetic kind, which prioritized listening, collaboration, and regular introspection and self-improvement. In 1989, he published a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and it was an almost immediate sensation. Today, it's widely considered one of the most influential business books of the 20th century. Seven Habits has sold over 30 million copies worldwide. If you have it, I'd be willing to guess it's one of the few books you regularly reread. But long before the Seven Habits were influencing people around the world, they were influencing Stephen Covey's children, including his oldest son, Stephen Jr., who says he and his eight siblings were the guinea pigs of the Seven Habits. Stephen Covey the son grew up in Provo, Utah. After graduating from college, he spent a few years working as a real estate broker and then as an investment banker. But in his early 30s, he decided to join his father at the Covey Leadership Center, a consulting firm that specialized in corporate training that Covey Sr. had founded in 1980. Stephen Jr. would go on to write his own best-selling books, including The Speed of Trust, but he's also been instrumental in making his father's seven habits into a worldwide phenomenon. His father began thinking about those seven habits while he was a professor at Brigham Young University, teaching business management and organizational behavior. He'd started a consulting business using some of these theories he was developing about the seven habits, and those habits really resonated with his clients. Now, when you first hear them, the seven habits, things like 
begin with the end in mind or synergize or think win-win don't really sound revolutionary. They seem like common sense. The principles were already out there, but my father made it accessible and usable. He brought them together in a coherent framework with a language and with a way to operationalize it. <laughs> and I think that was a great metaphor because that's really what, it, what he's done is, again, he doesn't own these principles. He didn't invent the principles. They're out there. They're principles. He organized them. Mm-hmm. He framed them. He languaged them. He synthesized them. He made them accessible and tangible and practical. And that's really the strength and the power of the seven habits is that they're, they're profound and they're, and they're actionable. Yeah. And, and what's amazing about the book is, I mean, if you, if you look at the seven habits, they're so straightforward and clean and simple. And I want to talk about, I just want to kind of go through them very briefly because when we read them now, they seem like common sense, but, but really they are things that people don't often think about. Um, so, for example, he talks about, you know, he, he, the first three are about sort of around this idea of independence, right? Um, yep. And he, he talks about the idea of being proactive. So what, what practically was he trying to say there? Yeah, he was trying to say, you are responsible for your life. You know, you're not a program, you're a programmer and you can create your future and create your life. And, you know, you're responsible, you're in charge. But in between the what happens to us and our response, there is a space. And in that space is your ability to choose your response based upon your values. And, and so that idea is the foundational habit because it makes all the other habits work. And the whole idea of the first three habits is they take a person from dependence to independence. Hmm. And, you know, that's habit one, two, and three. Be proactive, meaning you're, you're in charge. Begin with the end in mind is habit two. That's number two. Begin with the end in mind. So when you even start a project, you think of how, what does the end look like? What does the end look like? Mm-hmm. What are we trying to achieve? What are we trying to accomplish? What's important to me? What are my values? Um, and then the next one, habit three, put first things first, Hmm. you know, that helps a person become independent, you know, where I'm not dependent upon other people's opinion of me. I'm I'm independent. And and the first three habits really help a person achieve that. Yeah. They're basic. They're foundational. But the, the common practice on those same first three habits sometimes is, you know, instead of be proactive, it's kind of you know, respond to the world around you as it's hitting you, you know, react to it. Instead yep. of begin within the mind, it's kind of go with the flow, you know, whatever happens. And and instead of put first things first, it's, you know, do what's easiest first or what's in front of you and what's proximate, pressing, et cetera, versus really scheduling your priorities. Mm-hmm. And so it's basic. Yeah. My father called it a private victory. And so he, he sort of has these first three, which is independence, right? Gain, create independence, self-mastery. But then he moves on to interdependence, that independence is only one side of the coin. You, you must embrace interdependence to actually succeed. And that means working with other people. Uh, and that's how he kind of structures the next three key habits. Precisely. So once you've achieved independence, you now have choices and options that you don't have if you, if you haven't achieved that. And so the next higher value now, since life is all about people and we get work done with and through 
people now is saying, what if we can work well with others? Habit four is kind of the mindset. Mm. And if I got to work with others, my mindset should be mutual benefit. Yes. And my father phrased it as think win-win. And, and he didn't say practice win-win. He didn't say accomplish win-win because you may or may not be able to do it. It's the mindset mm-hmm. of thinking win-win. It's an abundance mentality mindset versus a scarcity mentality mindset, you know, where there's enough for everybody. So I want to, I want to win, of course, but I want you to win too. Yep. And mutual benefit, win-win is really the only sustainable approach in an interdependent reality. If you go for win-lose, I win, you know, and you lose, that, that's in the long run, not very sustainable. Yes. I go for lose-win. Where, you know, hey, I'm a martyr. Everyone steps on me. Yeah. You know, you do too. That's not sustainable either. That's not going to work for me. Lose, lose. Everyone loses. Um, you know, but win, win. My father taught win, win or no deal. In other words, if we can't both work together, then it's maybe best that we don't collaborate together if we're, no, if we're not going to both win. So that's kind of the, the root, the foundation of it. And then the route is then seek First, to understand, then to be understood. Now, that's the longest expression mm. in the seven habits, mm. but it's really a profound it's one. It's so profound. It is so profound. It is. Seek first to understand, then to be understood. And the tendency for most of us is we want to be understood first, especially if we think we're right. You know, it's kind of like I, I want to go in and say, here's what we need to do. Here's, you know, and, and give my side. And, and, and my, my father's reversing the order. And he says, the key to effectiveness and the key to influence with other people is to first be influenced by them, to first understand them mm. to their satisfaction, because then they become far more open to be influenced by you. When they say, thank you for listening, I feel understood. Mm-hmm. Then they, they become far more open to saying something like, and tell me about you, what you think. Until they feel understood, they're still fighting for air, for they're fighting for survival. They're fighting to be heard. And and that's the thing. Most people listen with the intent not to truly understand, but rather most people listen with the intent to reply, mm-hmm. <laughs> to respond. Yep. So they're patient. They're even respectful, but in many ways they're kind of just waiting their turn. Yep. But really, what really builds trust, what really builds influence is when the person feels understood. Yes. And that's the power, the magic of that mm-hmm. habit. Mm-hmm. And then your ability to then be understood. And there, there is the second half, which is, yes, I want to be heard. And I want to be understood too. But if I start by understanding, my ability to have influence will go up dramatically. And it's, it's, so it's, it's kind of a paradox, but it's really powerful. Yep. And habit six is now with mutual understanding, we now, we synergize. Yep. We, we try to create, synergy means where one plus one equals three or more. You know, three, five, ten. Where the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Where our differences become our strengths to innovate, to create, because we understand each other first and we're trying to achieve win-win. Our mindset is win-win. And, we, and, and so you, you synergize, you create, and you innovate, and you invent, yeah. and come up with new alternatives. That's the power of the, the second three. You know, it's the public victory together. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a m- remarkable because he put this book out in 1989 talking about empathy 
understanding and listening. And that was a ra- – I mean, today, you know, a lot of really great, incredible thought leaders and business leaders who, who clearly are influenced greatly by your father's work like Simon Sinek and others um, really talk about empathy and talk about um, listening, right, and, and seeking to, to uh, understand first. But that was a radical idea in 1989. I mean, it, business leaders didn't sit around and – you know, or you know, listen and try to understand. I mean, we were talking about guy, you know, men like Jack Welch and <laughs> pounding the table, right? I mean, that's what. But what was going on at the time this book came out? Absolutely, it, it was like you say, guy. Today, this is kind of hitting the sweet spot of where people have come to. But in 1989, it was seen as as radical. Yeah, and and you know, like wow, what, what, you know, seek first to understand. You know, no, I've got to be heard first. You know, yeah. you're bold and you're audacious and and you come out and give the vision. And but even today, even though it's talked about today, most people are still not very good at no. it. it. It kind of leads to the seventh habit because I think it's connected to all it, it is connected to all the, the the first six. And it was it's sharpen the saw or grow, right? This idea of continuous, sustainable, long-term improvement. And and what I love about this one is it essentially what what I think he was saying to his readers was, look, you're going to mess up. You're going to forget these six lessons now and again. You're going to fall off the wagon. You're going to go back to your old habits. But if you remember number seven, you're going to continue to constantly reset. Absolutely. The, the seventh habit kind of reinforces the other six and improves them and helps you get better, helps you reset. Hmm. I like how you express that. And that gives us hope, gives us optimism and, and – um, and also, so we don't burn out and, 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 you know, just become drained and exhausted. You know, that'd be the opposite of sharpen the saws, you know, just burn yourself out. Mm. So this gives you hope and optimism that it's a journey and we always are falling short, but we're constantly are getting, trying to get better. Maybe one of the top questions we get around the seven habits is this, as you look at the seven habits, is there... Any one of these that's the most important of all the habits. Hmm. I heard my father be asked that question countless times. You know, Stephen or Dr. Gubby, which yeah. of the seven habits yeah. is the most important one? And honestly, Guy, at different times, I've heard him say any and each of the seven. Uh-huh. <laughs> one time I heard him say, oh, you know, habit one, because habit one is the foundational habit. You know, be proactive. Without that, you can't do any of the others. I've heard him at other times say, Habit two by far, because that's a vision. Without vision, you don't go anywhere. I've heard him say habit seven, sharpen the saw. You know, you know, back to your point, that renews you and resets you. So at different times, I've heard him say each of the seven. And, and, and it's because they're all important. So maybe a way of thinking about it to our listeners is the most important of the seven habits is the one that maybe each of us is having the hardest time living and applying. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Generative AI is not a one-size-fits-all. If you're powering a customer chat experience, you need instant speed at low cost. If you're doing complex R&D or advanced analysis, you need frontier intelligence. The Claude 3 model family from Anthropic offers a model for every task and budget. Claude 3 Opus sets new industry benchmarks for intelligence. Sonnet strikes the perfect balance between speed and skill. And Haiku is the fastest and most cost-effective model on the market. Join the thousands of enterprises who trust Anthropic to power their AI solutions. Visit anthropic.com slash Claude today. So, Stephen, when this book came out, from, from, what I, uh, from what I understand, I mean, or around the time this book came out, um, you had a, a career. I mean, you, you went to, to Harvard Business School and... You were in investment banking and working as a uh, in real estate, and you kind of had, um, you know, you had this path that you. And I'm sure that, you know, being the son of Stephen Covey, you you wanted to forge a path and figure it out on your own. And um, but I guess at a certain point, you, you know, you sort of sat down with your dad, and and he kind of looked at you and said, "Look, you know, do do you?" He asked you this question. He said, "Do you want to spend your life building buildings or building souls?" which was an invitation to come and, and work with him. Exactly. And it was so interesting because, you know, I was coming out of uh, uh, two years at Harvard Business School getting my MBA, and I had, you know, an opportunity on Wall Street. I have an, an opportunity um, in investment banking. I had another opportunity in real estate development where I had been before, and I really liked it. That was building buildings, and that was interesting and very fun and just if you looked at the you know pure logic of it those were more prestigious <laughs> they offered more by traditional measures of success of prestige and money and everything else and and then also like you were suggesting um you know that one was maybe a little bit more my own identity right of, you know i'm not tied necessarily to my father but at the same time as I was coming out and I was deciding what to do, this was just a few months before the Seven Habits book was about to be launched. And I really believed that this book was going to have a profound impact on people, on leaders, on organizations throughout the entire world. That's pretty audacious wow. to think it that is, yeah. of any book, right? Yeah, yeah. But I just really was convinced of it. And so I really believed this is going to take off 
and it's going to really impact wow. people. And I wanted to be a part of it. Yeah. And so even though I knew that I'd have a little bit less of an identity because I had the same name as my father, that was more of a risk for me. But I felt like I did want to be a part of something extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, very prescient of you. Um, so you joined your dad's company, Covey Leadership Center, and then you eventually became the CEO for several years. And while you're there, I mean, it just explodes, becomes this huge leadership development company, Seven Habits, becomes like easily one of the most influential books in the English language over the past 50 years, right? But but it's interesting to me because you never turned your dad into a like like a cult figure, right? I mean, I mean, he pa- he passed away, of course, in 2012. And there are photos of him and his iconic bald head and his big smile, <laughs> but he was never right. uh, like a cult guru type, right? And 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 you know, the whole business that was built around him and his book that you helped build never did that. And I I really have a lot of admiration for that. I have to say. Well, thank you. I'll tell you, it's a tribute to my father because here's what was important to him: what he was very clear about. And that is this, that the power was in the principles, Mm. not in him. And he never saw himself or wanted to be seen in any way, shape or form as a guru, but rather he would point people to principles. And if someone would say, gosh, you're so insightful, he said, no, the power's in these principles. And guess what? He'd say, I didn't invent these principles. (laughs) They are out there. And all I've done is tried to organize and frame and language to make it accessible what's out there, what people have been doing for centuries. Hmm. And he'd always would point the light to the principles. Hmm. And and these principles are universal. He'd really kind of um, would push away from anyone that tried to guruize yeah. him, if yeah. you will. Yeah. And I must say this, um, you'll appreciate this. Someone asked my father, well, well, do you live the seven habits yourself, uh-huh. <laughs> Dr. Covey? And he replied, you know, about 80% of the time. I love that. <laughs> and his point was exactly your point earlier. Yeah. I'm trying my best. Yeah. yeah. I'm really trying to do this, but I slip too. Sometimes I'm reactive rather than mm-hmm. proactive. Sometimes I go with the flow rather than begin with the end in mind. And sometimes I don't listen very well. Yeah. But I'm always trying. I'm always striving. And that's, again, hopeful that even the guy that wrote this, who believed in it, who really, in my judgment, was a great model of it, also fell short but he just would constantly get back on track and course correct. I'm curious, Stephen. I mean, I, I just full disclosure, I'm not a super religious person. I have a lot of respect for religion and people who have a, um, a practice. Um, but I'm curious. I mean, is there is there a connection between what what this book laid out and some of the teachings of his own faith and your faith? Um. Well, let me let me broaden the question to say this: that um, principles um, belong to all humanity, yeah, all humankind, including great enduring religions and faiths, as well as enduring philosophies. And and so, because my father has taught, you know, he be, before he passed away, he taught seven habits all around the world. Yep. But he'd go into different countries with a completely different religious faith or tradition than his. And they might would say, like he might be in the Middle East and, they, and people might say, this feels like it's straight from the Quran. You know, and, 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 and it says, well, there's principles that are universal that belong to all enduring faith. Huh. And then he'd go to India. You know, this was Hindu philosophy. 
And then you go to China. This is Confucianism. Well, there's principles that are enduring to all traditions and philosophies that have endured and stood the test of time. But, he, you know, yes, he could find it in his own faith, but he also could find it in other people's faith because the principle is what is universal, whether one has a faith or not. Can I share one more thing please, of yes. why I think this is uh, timely and relevant yeah, today? Please. And this is kind of back to what you had said at the outset that this is basic. These are, you know, found, these are foundational principles. In fact, the original title for the book was going to be seven, the seven basic habits uh-huh. of highly effective people. But the publisher felt like the title was way too long already. Uh-huh. So the basic got cut out. And, you know, my, my point my father was making was these are just foundational things that are so important that we sometimes assume or take for granted. We got to come back to the basic. This is blocking and tackling, right? This is the the foundational basics. They're profound and they're, and they're actionable. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I mean, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, when you, and, 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 we should mention you have you went on to kind of really um, kind of operate and run um, the the business, and then went off and founded your own. and um, And have, you have written very several influential books uh, on your own, and are called on to consult and to help leaders and and managers, um, many of whom listen to this show. When somebody calls you right and says, "Stephen, I need your help." I'm, you know, in a bind. I, I just, um, our, our business is not doing well and I don't know what's going on and, and come and, and, and help out. And I'm, I'm assuming you get those calls, right? Yes. Give me a scenario uh, that you've experienced where, where that has happened and what, what happened and what did they want help with? Well, I find for me, because my work, I, I, my work is all around trust. And my book is, it's best known as called the speed of trust. And, and, and I'm really standing on the shoulders of my father uh, in doing this because he tees up the idea of trust in the seven habits. You know, he calls it the emotional bank account, the balance of trust in a given relationship. And I kind of just drill down deep on this. And, and, and my basic premise is that there's economics to trust. There's a speed to trust. When, when trust goes up in relationships on teams, you can do everything faster and at less cost. That's a dividend. It's a multiplier. When there's low trust in relationships on teams and companies, you pay a tax at every gate. And so you can quantify trust. And hmm. that's kind of a, a big idea that trust is not just social, it's financial. So what happens is I'll have people call up and say, you know, where we're at today, we've, we've grown a lot and we used to have a, a smaller company and now it's getting bigger and bigger and we're losing the sense of culture. We're losing the sense of kind of who we are and we're bringing in new people and how do we maintain and even enhance the culture that we had when we were small? That's kind of one area they might bring me in. Another area could be that they've lost trust in the marketplace or they lost trust with customers. What can we do to rebuild, to restore that trust? And in any and all of those scenarios, you know, my, my point, I, I try to come in and help them understand why trust is the one thing that changes everything and will impact everything else they're trying to do. And secondly, how they can build trust on purpose, intentionally, through their credibility and through their behavior. 
And it's really kind of a drill down uh, dive onto principles my father taught in Seven Habits because he's teaching about, you know, how it, the private victory precedes the public victory. And I teach how self-trust precedes relationship trust, mm. which precedes team trust, which precedes organizational trust. But I'm really building on the foundation that my father laid out with these seven habits and the basic foundational work of, you know, personal leadership yeah. of, you know, going from dependence to independence to interdependence. And then once you achieve that, now I can go, I can dive deep into building high trust teams, high trust cultures, but it's hard to do that if people are, are dependent and not independent. Yeah. You know, I wonder when you, you know, when, when people, I mean, this, this book and these principles and the principles upon, you know, the sort of the foundation upon which you built um, additional principles and ideas, um, they're available to anyone. I mean, anybody can can get this book and, and, and read the seven habits, right? Um, right? But what is, you know, when you meet leaders, um, and many leaders seek, sought your father out and seek you out, when, what is, I don't know, what, what is sort of a, a, a common trend that you find that leaders do not do that is kind of an easy thing for them to do? I think um, that this will be particularly true with entrepreneurs, um, but also even leaders in established organizations. Um, it's very easy to kind of, uh, um, you know, you got where you're at because of your strengths, your competence, mm -hmm. yeah, your abilities, and and that has gotten you to where you're at. But you know, to move to the next level, to transform your team, to transform your business, you're going to now need to do things differently, and you're going to need to empower people. You're going to need to extend trust to people. You're going to need to uh, engage people. And there's too many entrepreneurs that are still kind of tapped out with how far they can go because they can't leverage and recreate themselves through others. And so the real gift, the real opportunity is to be able to extend this trust, to empower, to see the potential and the capability in other people and to bring it out in them. So let me give you my father's definition for leadership. Yeah. It's kind of, it, it kind of frames what I'm saying here and what leaders can do today to lead. And here, here's what my father said leadership is. Leadership is communicating people's worth and potential so clearly that they're inspired to see it in themselves. Mm. You bring the leader out in them. You're empowering of them. And then they respond to that and they rise to the occasion and they perform better. They're inspired by it and they give it, the trust back to you. You trust them. They tend to trust you. I, I totally agree. So I ask people who come on the show this question or I ask you this same question. I think your answer is going to be particularly um, valuable. Are leaders born or, or, or are they made? Do you become a leader? Um, yes, <laughs> some of both, but I'm going to be more in the camp that leaders are made. Um, and I will acknowledge that sometimes there are some people that just seems to have a knack and you might say that person's a born leader, but I, I like how Peter Drucker 
put it about effectiveness. He said, um, effectiveness can not be taught, but because it's a discipline, it can be learned. Hmm. And I would say the same for leadership. It's not so much that we teach leadership per se, but I think we can learn leadership. And, and um, you know, so leadership is not necessarily taught, but because it's a discipline, leadership can be learned. And I do believe in that sense, we, you know, we, leaders are made. I'm also acknowledging that um, there's certain elements where there might be some naturally gifted people. But I also still, still think that even there, to become self-aware of the principles behind maybe what makes them a natural leader, to become aware of that helps them go to another level, hmm. an even higher level of it too. Hmm. So I'm more on the side of leaders. leadership is leaders are made, that we can learn leadership. I, I love it. I really appreciate it. I, I really appreciate your self-awareness. And, um, I, and I, I also... As a father myself with two kids, I just I really admire your connection to your dad, you know, and, and the legacy that uh, you and and presumably you know your siblings have, have really um, you know maintained and continued. Yeah, thank you. No, um, I'll say this about my father. For those that are Seven Habits uh, fans or readers or have been impacted by it, that um, you know, as you mentioned, my father passed away about uh, in twenty twelve. And I said this at his funeral, and I'll say it here now. Um, as, as good as my father was in public, as a, as a speaker, as an author, and he was very, very good. As good as he was in public, he was even better in private. Huh. You know, some people can give a very powerful presentation on stage and then they walk off stage, they're like a different person in how they treat others. Well, my father was really good on stage and he was even better off stage. Stephen M.R. Covey is currently CEO of the boutique management consulting firm Covey Link Worldwide, which he co-founded with Greg Link. Stephen's co-author on the national bestseller Smart Trust, creating prosperity, energy, and joy in a low-trust world. Stephen joined me from his home in Provo, Utah. Hey, thanks for listening to the show this week. The music for this episode was composed and performed by Drop Electric. I'm Guy Raz, and you've been listening to Wisdom from the Top from Luminary and Built It Productions. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.